One Hope Church. Uh, this morning we're continuing our series on forgotten heroes, uh, forgotten heroes in the scripture, and um, we're going to tackle a little bit of a difficult character uh, today. Uh, but we've seen some great characters and you know, some of the themes that we see throughout are, you know, faith and courage, loyalty, um, you know, dedication, commitment, overcoming circumstances. Um, you know, we just see so many beautiful things, whether it's in um, the Hebrew um, slave girl that helps out um, Naaman, who um, had his people had captured her, or it's Jonathan giving up his position and his, um, his, his future possibilities um, in pursuit of what's best for God um, and God's view and what's best for Israel um, as a whole. We've just seen some great characters. Um, this morning we're going to go uh, to the book of Judges and we're going to look at the ninth judge in the book of Judges um, named Jephthah in Judges chapter 11. And so... Uh, he's somewhat controversial because um, I, I think we miss, oftentimes misunderstand um, the story and, and what Jephthah actually did. And so we come to some not great conclusions um, about him. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk through that uh, this morning. But let's just um, go ahead and read the first uh, 11 verses and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer again and Ask him to teach us from his word. So Judges chapter 11, verse 1, says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a valiant warrior, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead was the father of Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bore him sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows gathered themselves about Jephthah, and they went out with him. And it came about after a while that the sons of Ammon fought against Israel. When the sons of Ammon fought against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our chief, that we might fight against the sons of Ammon. And Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me? And drive me from my father's house. So why have you come to me now that you are in trouble? When you are in trouble. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, For this reason we have now returned to you, that you may go with us and fight with the sons of Ammon, and become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back to fight against the sons of Ammon, and the Lord gives them up to me, will I become your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord is witness between us. Surely we will do as you have said. And then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him chief over them. And Jephthah spoke all the words, all his words, before the Lord at Mizpah. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time, for your word. We pray that you would teach us from it, and that you would help us, God, and give us greater understanding um, of your word, and help us to apply it rightly. Um, to our lives. And Lord, we thank you uh, again for your goodness to us and we ask uh, for your help. Um, Lord, we thank you so much that we serve a, a risen Savior and a King 
uh, who loves us and who gave himself for us and that uh, will return one day. And until that day, Lord, we pray that you would help us, your people, uh, to be faithful to you. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, what do we learn about Jephthah in this introduction? We learned a few things from him. First thing we learned about him, very first phrase, is that he was a valiant warrior. Um, he had courage. You know, on the, uh, on the battlefield, not all soldiers and not all leaders are equal. You know, some shrink under pressure or, and fear or adversity. You know, and that's a natural, um, understandable reaction to your life being in great danger. Um, and others, you know, rise above that fear and act with courage and, and valor. Um, and Jephthah is definitely in that category. He's obviously known um, to be, you know, a, a great warrior. If you're going to be in a battle in any point in history, Jephthah is a dude that you're going to want on your side. You know, you're, you're, you would, you know, want him to be even the leader or commander of whatever military unit you're a part of because the man knew what he was doing. Um, and he was courageous. It says this about him, though, but he was the son of a harlot or the son of a prostitute. Now, what we don't know here is whether um, Gilead, his father, um, you know, had that relation before his marriage and then has these other, um, you know, other sons by his wife. Or, you know, he steps out of it on his wife at some point. We're not really told the details of all of that, but there's definitely this difference where um, the, these sons who grow up and realize that their brother, and perhaps he's the oldest um, brother or, or not, but they realize Jephthah, okay, his mother uh, is not our mother. Um, his mother was a prostitute. Um, we don't want him sharing in the inheritance with our father's inheritance with us. At the end of the day, this is probably a play about greed more than about honor or anything else. Because if you think about an inheritance, there's a big difference between whether you divide something by four or by five. You know, like what percent you're going to get. And so, this is a way for these um, group of sons to get rid of one of the stakeholders in their father's inheritance. They send him away. Um, and it's a little bit, it's a sad story here because we don't see anything here about Gilead sticking up for his son and saying, no, this isn't right. But he does what his wife and the other sons want you know, to do. He goes along with that. And that's a sad thing. You can imagine that emotionally that would have stung you know, Jephthah um, a, a lot. And so they kick him out and it says that he goes to this land of Tob and he's, he says there that worthless fellows gather themselves you know, to him. Um, he was attracted to them, again, because he's a, a valiant warrior. There's, there's going to be some protection, um, you know, and resource um, with him. But you'll notice it doesn't say that Jephthah was 
was a of worthless character. Um, his character is is not, you know, put down upon um, in any way, um, and, th- and that's an important distinction. Uh, now the 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 trouble is that we often um, we often become like the people that we're around. It's kind of diff- it's difficult. You know, there's that phrase, "Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future." You know, we say to to young people, we want our we want young people like choose your friends wisely and don't choose those that are going to, you know, drag you down. Choose those who are going to, you know, you're going to be able to lift each other up, um, you know, together. And Jephthah wasn't in that situation, but it seems like he's able to maintain his distinction of his own character. And then we read in verse 4 that the sons of Ammon, the Ammonites, you know, are, are fighting against, you know, want to fight against Israel and so then the elders of Gilead went to go get Jephthah because now they're in trouble. And this is exactly what Jephthah says. He says, you know, did you not hate me and drive me out from my father's house? And he's basically saying, you know, the whole community, you know, was involved with this. Like in order to accomplish that, it took more than just the nuclear family, um, you know, that he was a part of. But the whole community was part of sending, you know, Jephthah away. You know, did you not hate me and drive me from my father's house? I mean, you can, I mean, it's understandable if the dude's a little bit bitter about, um, you know, his, his circumstances. He says, so why have you come to me now when you were in trouble? And that's a, kind of a self-explanatory question because they are coming to him now because they are indeed in trouble. They don't want to get their tails kicked, you know, by the Ammonites. And so... They say, hey, who can fight us? Well, the, who, who's, who's the most valiant warrior that we know that might be able to fight with us? Well, that would be Jephthah. Um, and so they returned to him, and they said, you know, we want you to become, you know, head over, over everything. They know they can't just be like, hey, just come fight on our side. They're going to have to make some sort of offer to him. And so they offer him to be, you know, the chief over all of them, and he makes that agreement, you know, before the Lord. The Lord is, they said, the Lord is witness between us. Surely we will do as you have said. And then notice this, it says, Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. That he spoke his words before the Lord. And so again, we have a, an indi- indicator that Jephthah, you know, is making his, his, his statements, his promises in front of the Lord. And that's the first clue that we get about some knowledge, some relationship between Jephthah and God. But that's not the only one we're going to get. So let's continue with this. And verse 12, it says, Now Jephthah sent messenger to the, kings, to the king of the sons of Ammon, saying, What is between you and me that you have come to me to fight against my land? Then the king of the sons of Ammon said to the messenger of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up from Egypt, from the Aran, from, as from the Jabbok and the Jordan, therefore return them peaceably now. But Jephthah said, sent messengers again to the king of the sons of Ammon. And they said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the sons of Ammon. For, for when they came up from Egypt, and Israel went through the wilderness of the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. 
Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And they also sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. Then they went through the wilderness and around the land of Edom and the land of Moab, and came to the east side of the land of Moab, and they camped beyond the Arnon. But they did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers to Sion, king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land to our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sion gathered all his people and came to Jehez and fought with Israel. The Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sion and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the, the inhabitants of that country. So they possessed all the terror of the Amorites from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok, and from the wilderness as far as the Jordan. Since now the Lord, the God of Israel, drove out the Amorites from before his people Israel, are you then to possess it? Do you not possess what Chemish, your God, gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord has God, God has driven us out before us, we will possess it. Now are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive with Israel, or did he ever fight against them? While Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages, and in Arar and its villages, and in all the cities that are on the backs of the Arnon, 300 years, why did you not recover them within that time? I therefore have not sinned against you, but you are doing me wrong by making war against me. May the Lord, the judge, judge today between the sons of Israel and the sons of Ammon. But the king of the sons of Ammon disregarded the message with Jephthah sent him. So, you see that conflict in that argument. He's saying, look, we tried you know, to pass through peaceably here. We tried to pass through peaceably there. We tried to pass through peaceably through the land that is in debate. And you wouldn't let us pass through. You're, you know, they fought against us. And in that fight, they, you know, your side lost. And so we took that land. But, you know, we won that fair and square, <laughs> you know, in a fight. And it's a land that we wouldn't have, you know, necessarily taken. We just, you know, because we were going to pass through without conflict. But there's a price to pay when you fought against us without cause. And you lost that land. And then you've had... 300 years since then, and now you're going to come back, you know, for it? Like, I don't think so. You know, and, and that's, you know, that's the message, and it's a reasonable message. And it does show here, too, that, you know, Jephthah, even though he was a great warrior, going to war wasn't his first option. He wasn't like, hey, I just love to fight, so I'm just going to, any excuse to fight, I'm going to fight. You know, that wasn't his perspective. He, he fought, you know, as, you know, this is the last resort. We're going to try peace first. Peace doesn't work. Now we're going to defend ourselves. Because the Ammonites here are clearly the aggressors. And so they have an opportunity to back off. Now the Ammonites, of course, would go without a fight too if Israel would just give them the land. But that's not going to happen. You know, and they had even in, in the... Um, Old Testament, sorry, previous books in the books of the law, it talks about that battle and then that land being given to the tribe of Gad. Um, you know, so that was like done at that point. You know, sometimes when, when people lose something, they've lost it. It's, it's over. You can't go back and claim rights to it again when you, 
you, when, especially the Ammonites were the ones to put it in jeopardy in the first place. They put their own land in jeopardy when they wouldn't let the Israelites pass through and try to kill them all. Well, they lost some of their land when they didn't succeed in killing them. You know, that's just how it goes. So now we're going to go to battle. And so this is the part um, that we need to talk about here in verse 29. Verse 29 through 31 are, are uh, important for the rest of our lesson. And it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, so that he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and then he passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he went on to the sons of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's, and I will burn it up. I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Now, this seems like a very strange vow. So let's talk about the vow first. Uh, it seems like a strange vow, but we need to notice a couple of things about it. First of all, in verse 29, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. So now, the Spirit of God is working like in him and through him. And as he goes. And then, he makes a vow to the Lord as he's in the Spirit of the Lord. That's kind of critical to this. Now, this vow, though, it seems like a pretty strange vow to make because he says, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me. Now, that very well could be a person, right? I mean, what, what walks through a door of a house? Well, people walk through doors of houses. Now, in the culture there as well, um, you know, you, they would often have uh, at least attached to the house or as part of the house, place to keep the animals, you know, at night. Um, you know, in a lot of cultures, it's not uncommon to see, you know, a chicken come out of a house. Uh, like we go to, you know, Mexico, it's very, very normal that a, a, some bird comes out of walking out of someone's home. Um, it wouldn't be too abnormal to have a sheep or a goat or, or something walk out of, out of someone's home. Um, so that's, you know, there. But the fact that it could be a person, well, what, what, what does he say here? He says, you know, it shall be the Lord's. Okay, whatever comes out of my house, I'm going to give to the Lord. And then it says, and I will, most of the translations say, I will offer it up as a burnt offering. There's a little, you know, debate there. Obviously, my dad's better on the Hebrew than I am because I'm zero on the Hebrew. But, um, you know, you got and or. So you could, it could read... It shall be the Lord's, or I will give it up as a burnt offering. The burnt offering is automatically, you know, for the for the Lord. But even if you don't have that, um, the key thing is it shall be the Lord's is the real emphasis there. Um, it's not obligating himself necessarily to human sacrifice. So let's just keep that in mind, you know, as we continue um, with it. And. You know, the, so he makes that vow again in his relationship with God, and vows at this time like this were were pretty common. Now we'll talk about vows for us, you know, today. But in this context, um, you know, we see vows, you know, all over the Old Testament um, of pretty significant, of pretty significant nature. So in verse thirty-two, it says, "So Jephthah crossed over." to the sons of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord gave them into his hand 
And he struck them with a very great slaughter from Aor to the entrance of Meneth, twenty cities, and as far as Abel Karaman. So the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. Um, again, you know, twice in their in their history, uh, they picked a fight with the wrong people and lost. You know, so they lost before, and now they've lost more. You know, again. Um, because so God, you know, honored Jephthah, and He honored, you know, His vow. Now that's important because then again, this this whole thing that we're getting conflict that we get to here is, you know, does um, has has Jephthah set himself up for hum, you know to commit a human sacrifice, you know, or not? Um, I would say that the fact that Jephthah won the battle that he was given victory by the Lord it's a good indicator that human sacrifice is not in play here why do I say that? well if you remember our study of when we looked at Rahab um, who was a Canaanite you know, woman and how God gave the land of the Canaanites you know, to the Israelites and he said he was going to do so not because of the righteousness of the Hebrews, but because of the wickedness of the Canaanites, Canaanites. And one of the chief things that the Canaanites did that was so wicked was that they offered their children in human sacrifice to Moloch. You know, and Moloch was this like bullheaded, um, upright, you know, God with arms extended. That's the idol that they made with a fire in its belly and they would place the babies and the small children onto the arms and they'd play the drums and the trumpets so they couldn't hear the screaming and they would sacrifice, they would burn their children alive. And God says in Leviticus 18.21, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Moloch. Like he gives an explicit command you know, against human sacrifice. And God says throughout that he... You know, he hates the ways of these people in this, in this region that are so exceedingly wicked, you know, that they would sacrifice their own, own children. And so um, I, I would think if human sacrifice was at play here, that God would not have given victory to Jephthah. I think he would rather Israel lose a battle than for his name to be defiled in such a way. So in verse 34, we read this. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him with tambourines and with dancing. Now she was his one and only child. Besides her, he had no son or daughter. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you are among those who trouble me. For I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. So she said to him, my father you have given your word to the Lord do to me as you have said since the Lord has avenged you of your enemies the sons of Ammon. And she said to her father, let this thing be done for me, let me alone two months that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity. I am my companions. Then he said, go. And he sent her away for two months and she left with her companions and wept on the mountains because of her virginity. And at the end of two months she returned to her father, who did to her according to the vow which he had made, and she had no relations with a man. 
Thus it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Giladite for four days in the year. So now we have these questions. Okay, now, if it's not death that is so troubling to Jephthah in the vow that he has made, why, why, is, why does he you know, tear his clothes um, you know, as a sign of anguish? Why does she celibacy and service to God? You know, would our culture like shed a tear about that? I don't know. And it's been kind of like, well, I mean, you know, you wouldn't really, it's just not, the value's not there. So we don't get why they would do that. So for us, it couldn't have been, you know, it, it couldn't have been something so small as to give up marriage and children. It would have to be like death. It has to be death because that's the only thing worth people going and crying about like that. You know, so when we see it through our cultural lens, you know, we, we come with a different viewpoint. It can't be something as small as like that has to be death. But for them, huge, huge, huge deal. So there's another part to this, and this is um, certainly not the least of it. So the author of Hebrews includes Jephthah in his list of characters of faith. Now, how significant is that? Well, only 16 characters from the Old Testament make the list. Only 16 characters make the list, and Jephthah is one of them. Now, would the true and living God who hates human sacrifice include in the list of heroes of faith a man who committed human sacrifice, who would sacrifice his own daughter? I don't think so. I I would say absolutely not to that. He would not include a man who did that. There are other things that, yeah, people did. You know, I mean, David's on the list. I mean, he committed adultery, and you know, he, he's the responsible for the death of Uriah the Hittite. But that's different. That's on a. I mean, this is at a different level in terms of God's sight. It's as wicked as it gets. Okay. The the other part of that, because people will argue, well, you know, didn't God tell Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. It's like, yeah, he did, but the scripture tells us clearly why. It was a test of his faith. And that came from God, not wasn't Abraham's idea. Jephthah's vow was, you know, he was in the Lord's, in the Spirit, but he made, you know, he's the one who made, you know, the vow. There's a difference there. But also, Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead, and the scripture tells us, so he received him in a figurative sense, because Isaac presents himself as a foretaste, as a little picture of Jesus to come. The only time God, only time God has a human sacrifice that he's pleased with is his son. Why is that? Two reasons. One, for the payment of our sins, it's the only way. Two, is because it's a temporary state. You know, it wasn't permanent. There's a resurrection. And so if Jephthah 
was actually going through with a human sacrifice, I'm, I feel confident knowing that we serve the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That Jephthah was serving the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that God would have stopped him and provided you know, a, a ram in the thicket just like he did for Abraham. But here's the other part of um, Jephthah being mentioned in Hebrews. Think about some of the people that didn't make the cut. Didn't make the list to have their name specifically listed in Hebrews 11. Daniel doesn't make the list. Daniel doesn't make the list. Daniel, who gives us some of the most important prophecies about Jesus, the Son of God, not on the list. Daniel, who through great you know, faith, great faith, goes into the lion's den because he wouldn't cease to pray. I mean, we've just, I mean, and, and there's more about Daniel. Daniel's not on this list. Now, objectively, comparatively, when we put Daniel and Jephthah on the scales and say, who's the greater hero? Daniel's got that. Daniel wins that contest, like, hands down. Every time. I mean, looking at the Old Testament record, it's not close that how much more significant Daniel is than Jephthah. Jephthah is kind of a small character compared to pretty much everybody else on that list in Hebrews chapter 11. He's a pretty small character. You have this chapter and a, few, and a bit of the next chapter, Judges chapter 12, and that's, and that's pretty much... That's pretty much it. Now, let's look at who else is on this list real quick in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at who else is on, on this list. Abel. Abel is on this list. His sacrifice you know, was huge. You know, he, he was coming to God rightly, offering a lamb, his brother Cain. You know, it's the first you know, murder, but Abel still speaks to us. So Abel is on this list. Enoch. Enoch walked with God and then was no more. He's one of just a couple who didn't die a natural death, but God took him to be in his presence without experiencing a natural death. Enoch. Noah. Do I need to say anything? Abraham. Abraham. Do I need to say anything? Isaac and Jacob are just mentioned like in passing. Sarah herself. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. Rahab. And then he says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel. You know, he says, and the prophets, but he doesn't even go into list the prophets like Daniel or Jeremiah or Isaiah. But Jephthah gets mentioned by name? Why is that? Because I think the Lord knows people are going to mess up this interpretation real bad. 
It's like he's got to protect Jephthah's reputation and character just a little bit by having his name mentioned here in the Hall of Faith. You've got to have his name mentioned just a little bit to give us a clue that Jephthah didn't take the life of his own daughter. You've got to give us a clue for that. And it's a necessary clue because, you know, when, when, if, you, if you open up your Bible and, you, and if you have headings, you know, the things that people wrote in, not, these aren't part of the scripture. Your headings, by the way, are, are like sometimes helpful notes for you to know what's in that section, but they're not, they weren't originally part of the scripture. Okay? But a lot of times your heading for that sep- section will say something like Jephthah's tragic vow. Okay? It'll say something like that. In fact, now y'all know, if y'all been around for a while, y'all know like we use a lot of different translations here. And there's a lot of good translations. I really enjoy to read, like for my devotions and things like that, New Living Translation. Okay? Now, sometimes with a New Living Translation, they will make the interpretation for you. And instead of just giving you like what the scripture says, like word for word, they kind of make the translation, like make the interpretation for you in the translation, in their translation. So instead of saying he kept his vow, a New Living Translation just straight up says he offered her as a burnt offering. It just says it. Like it removes all question and just says he offered her up as a burnt offering. I have a problem with that. I have a problem with that because your 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 translation of the scripture, while helpful, while it needs to try to be helpful for your ability to comprehend and understand what's being said, it shouldn't make interpretations. It shouldn't put, insert its opinion into and and make your theology for you. No, it needs to give what God said, and then we do the work after that. Right, so that's again one of those places that when you're using, you know, something that's not a word for for word, if you're using something that takes a little bit of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, a little, I would I would almost call it too much freedom, and and how it's doing things, you got to be careful that you don't use that to understand something like this or to to make a point of theology. Okay, you need to use something that's a little more robust in terms of its uh, that it's just giving you what what God said as best we can do, you know, into the English language or whatever language is you're you know and that you're reading from. Okay, so that's a place. Like, there's a lot of places where again the New Living Translation. I'm not down on it. There's a lot of places where it's extremely. You know, helpful and, and can actually give some clarity. There, they just like destroyed the passage. They destroyed the passage because they took what they thought happened. You know, they, they took what at best is for preaching and made it the scripture. You understand what, the difference in what I'm saying there? You know, they, they took, you know, in the best case, what someone thought was, you know, I could teach it this way. You know, and could honestly think that they were correct. I mean, obviously, they're not putting what they think is wrong. They put what they think happened. You know, based on their views, 
but you don't do that when you're putting down the scripture for people to read and to interpret. That's not the job of the translator. Translator's job isn't to interpret. And so that's a that's a, a, a an issue there. But even in your other translations, the the general uh, I don't know if it's a general, but a lot of people just assume that Jephthah followed through um, on the burnt offering side with his daughter. But I think we've shown today that there is plenty of evidence to take a different viewpoint on that, and I believe that from the whole of the scripture that that viewpoint is more consistent with the scripture that we had. You know, people will argue and say, well, you know, this is just another... There are situations where you can say that. But that's still clear communication. And sometimes you, clear communication is just like, no. Either I, I, I can't do that, or I don't want to do that, or I'm just not going to do that. But that, that's better than, eh, you know, leaving the per, other person thinking, well, maybe. Well, maybe. But we need to be, you know, serious because throughout the scriptures, whenever people have told God, God, I'm going to do X, like that means business. Like that is, is serious. And we need to be, you know, careful when we make our vows, how we make our vows. I mean, in the sense of, I, let me just take away the word vow for a second and make it simpler. But, you know, your, your promises. If, you're, if you say, God, I will, I will do whatever you want me to with this life you've given to me. I mean, God's going to hold you to that. So, like, don't say it unless you really mean it. Unless you're, you're serious about it. You know, if you said, you know, any, anything, God, I'm going to go to this place and, you know, and, and share the gospel. Well, don't say it and then not do it. Or, Lord, I'm going to give this gift. Don't say it and then not do it. Better to have do it or not do it and then then say or whatever, you know. I mean, in the moment, as you're doing it, say, I'm giving you this gift, you know. But don't be like, hey, I'm going to do and then not do. You know, and that's a lesson for all of us. That's a lesson for myself. That's a lesson for every one of us in this room that God expects his people to be people who commit their word. Now, we have grace. We all fail. We all stumble. We all have good intent. You know, at times have had good intentions to do something noble or good or whatever, and for one reason or another, have fallen on our face. Well, what do you do in that situation? Well, stay on your face until you've asked God, you know, Lord, forgive me, because my, you know, my intention in my heart was to do that, but I failed, and admit it. And you know, the Scripture says, you know, He's. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, you know, when we do fail on that, just we admit it. You know, um, don't try to hide it. So may the Lord help us in, in all of, of that. The one interesting thing, though, you know, Jephthah's vow that he made, um, another reason I, I think we can say it wasn't, you know, it obviously had very significant repercussions for him and for his daughter. But um, you know, he didn't make that vow under duress. It said he made that vow. You know, he was right before that. You read he was in the spirit. He wasn't in the heat of battle um, at the moment. His life wasn't threatened or in danger. He's not making some rash, you know, thing. 
I'll tell you one quick story. Um, when I was in university, and um, we were going on this retreat, and I had eaten something the night before, and um, this might be a little bit gross. I'm going to go for it anyway. So that morning before we leave, I'm in the shower, and I, I threw up just a little bit, just a tiny bit. But I felt fine. I mean, I was like, that is the weirdest thing. That is just the weirdest thing. I don't understand that at all. Well, we get in the vehicle. We're going up I-77 in North Carolina in the van. And all of a sudden, I start feeling like, my car sick. Man, I, don't, I do not feel good. Hey, can I, can, can I ride in the front? Because, you know, my dad and I both have the motion sickness thing, you know, sometimes. And, uh, so, um, which, which uh, stinks for other people in our family who always find themselves riding in the back. But... And so pull over, and I get in the front seat and start to start to go again. And then immediately I'm like tapping the driver on the shoulder as I'm rolling down the window. And you can envision what's happening there as much as you want your imagination to go. Um, but it's it's bad, and, and I think it's over. And we start again, and then I'm like, no. And it, you, you ever have you get to the point when you have the the dry heaves? Oh yeah. The dry heaves are the the absolute worst. And this has gone on so long that I'm like. I'm by this. I'm by this like road sign. I'm holding onto this road sign, and I'm like, Lord, right now, I'll do, I'll do anything you want me to do with my life, or you could just take my life. That would be totally fine with me right now. That this, I know, it can stop. Either way, that's part of being a guy when you're sick too. I mean, that's just a thing. Women are like, really. Really, but I'm like in my life, or I will do. I'll, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Anyway, that is an example of a rash vow, a rash promise, in a moment of distress. Don't do that. Don't do that. Make sure you're in your right mind and things are clear with what you're saying to the Lord. I'm going to do X, Y, or Z, and then follow through with it. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us, God, for your love for us. Thank you. For all we can learn um, from from Jephthah, Lord, help us to remember that promises that we make to you do affect other people and to consider that well. We thank you, though, for his courage and his faith, and we thank you for his daughter, for her courage and her faith. Lord, she really is a forgotten hero in it. Um, But we, we thank you that her people remembered her sacrifice, her commitment, Um, to you and, and giving up the normal trajectory of her life um, for your honor.